0: That part of God's word that we want to look at with you this evening on this last service of the year. 2 Peter chapter 1. The second epistle of Peter, the the first chapter. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. To them that have obtained like precious faith with us, and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. Yet by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue, knowledge. And to knowledge, temperance. And to temperance, patience. And to patience, godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful, in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind, and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them, and be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it meet, as long as I am in this tabernacle, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able, after my decease, to have these things always in remembrance. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were witnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount." we have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well, that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost." New Year's Eve has traditionally been a time of reflection, a time of looking back. And even the world, in a albeit in a somewhat fading manner, recognizes this. The song that is most often played on New Year's Eve, Auld Lang Syne is a Scottish ballad which basically emphasizes reminiscing, remembering. But as God's church, we, we should never be satisfied with mere emotional sentimentality. We should rather be reflecting on God's mercies past. We should be focused on the great truths of God. Those are the kinds of things that, as we reflect upon them, profit our souls, enrich our lives. And so important is this spiritual activity of reflection that the Apostle Peter, three times, in nearly three consecutive verses in this epistle, emphasizes this activity as actually vital to, a, to the spiritual welfare of those to whom he wrote. And so on this last Lord's Day of the year, the last service of this year, I can hardly think of a more suitable thing for us to be doing than to remember, to reflect on God's great truths. And so with God's help, we want to consider Second Peter 1, particularly the verses 12, 13, and 15, we read in these verses, Wherefore I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them, and be established in the present truths. Yea, I think it meet as long as I am in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. And then verse 15, moreover I will endeavor that ye may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance. Our theme then is very simple remembrance. In the first place the value of remembering and then secondly the focus of our remembering. Peter's second epistle was the last correspondence to fellow believers that he wrote. It is filled with encouragements, it is sprinkled with warnings, for both would be needed as the church to which he wrote would begin to suffer increasing persecution. Peter began the letter on an exceedingly positive note, you'll notice. After his greeting, he began by tracing the grace and peace that he wished for his fellow Christians, he traced those blessings to the fountain from which they come. He says, this grace and peace comes through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And that's not unique to what Peter writes here. Paul did the same thing in his letter to the Corinthians. That though uh, he was beholding in God's word Jesus by faith, through that beholding, Through that looking to Christ by faith, by God's Spirit, we are transformed into Christ's image. And so also, says Peter, grace and peace come through the knowledge of God and of Jesus. But then you'll notice in verse 3 another grand truth, namely that his divine power, and this is a remarkable statement, his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness. In other words, everything we need for this life, everything we need to be godly, he provides in Christ. But the question, of course, is how do these all-encompassing blessings come to us? Well, he says, through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue. So that's fascinating. He's saying as we look to Christ by faith we receive everything we need and that same one who supplies all that we need is calling us to use what he gives so that we would have lives filled with glory and adorned with virtue. So beholding God in Christ that's the key. In verse 4 Peter mentions the instrumentality of God's word in this. He says, whereby are given unto us exceedingly great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So beholding God, seeing God by faith through his word, clinging by faith to his promises, those are God's choice means for spiritual growth, for maturity in the faith, for fruitfulness in our life. And those are key lessons to take with us into this new year. But then in verses 5 through 11, Peter turns and applies all this to practical matters. So he says we are not just to believe in these great and and precious promises, but to use them, to use these great blessings given to us. And then we're going to return to this later, but look at the list presented in 5 through 7. These truths, these promises, prayerfully cultivated, will, with God's blessing, produce even more fruit and fruitfulness in relationship to our Savior. We will grow closer to our Savior. The more we make use of the blessedness, the blessings he gives. He says, on the contrary, lacking this exercise of faith and the accompanying fruits that go with it, those are symptoms, he says, of spiritual blindness. Peter writes in verse 9 that pursuing these, on the other hand, is one of God's means of making our calling and election sure or certain. And he is saying, If you do these things, you shall never fall. These are remarkable statements. Statements we are not accustomed to hearing or even thinking in these terms. But these are bold statements. Everything we need through the knowledge of Christ and exercising faith in these things means fruitfulness means assurance means preservation now as far as salvation so so we don't get the wrong idea as far as the way to be saved christianity is not a religion of works we all know that but when it comes to the life of sanctification holiness christlikeness it is most assuredly a life Of effort. In other words, when God saves us by one sided sovereign grace, He fully expects us and empowers us to use that grace to build a life of sanctification, not apart from the Spirit, but under the teaching and power of the Spirit. And so, He is calling us here to develop to build upon holiness. And that is, of course, as those who are believers here well know, that is an arduous, a difficult task. But he supplies both the means, his precious word, in which we find his dear son, but also he provides the motivation and the power through his blessed spirit. And he says, these truths From the grace and peace that's multiplied through the knowledge of God in Christ to all things that the divine power of God has given us to the exceeding great precious promises he has shown us to the exhortation to build on these things virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience we'll look at it later in order that we might be fruitful. And all of that is wrapped, says Peter, and is delivered through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I think we can see then, just from these opening verses alone, that Jesus Christ is not only absolutely essential to salvation, but that it pleases God that through His Son, literally everything we need, everything we could ever want in the Christian life, comes through him to sinners like us. It's all in him. The spirit empowering and motivating, the father sending and blessing, but it's all through him. And then, as if this wasn't already astonishing enough, all these things he says, if by grace we pursue them, he writes in verse 11, an entrance shall be ministered unto us abundantly, into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So, to put it very simply, children, if we live through Christ, then we shall live with Christ abundantly. It is The picture is as if we were standing at, at the gate of heaven, and the gate is wide open, an abundant entrance. There will be no doubt about your entrance. If you are living your life Focused on Christ, living out of Christ and upon these precious promises. And these grand truths Peter says three times we need to keep in remembrance. We need to rehearse them often. So in the first place we want to look at the value of remembering. What is the value of these three exhortations the first of the three you find in verse 12 we read there wherefore, Peter writes I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things though ye know them and be established in the present truth so Peter is basically saying what what I could say to you on any given Sunday what I'm about to preach you already know what I'm about to say, you've already learned. Peter says to them that I will put you in the remembrance of these things even though you know them. And he goes one step further. Even though you are established in these truths. That they're not new a week ago or two, but that you are grounded in these realities. And that is something really important to keep in mind. Why? I'm not exactly sure what we're all going to hear from this pulpit in 2024. I am quite sure it will be very similar to what you heard from this pulpit in 2023, 2022, 2021, and as all the way back to the beginning of this congregation. Why? Well, Peter says it. These cardinal, fundamental truths ought to be rehearsed Repeatedly. And it is not the minister's purpose to be repetitious, needlessly. It is not, it is not a, a faithful minister who simply recycles old sermon material over and over again. We have a whole Bible to exposit and to apply. But nevertheless, these central truths, the truths he pointed to, grace and peace through knowing God and Jesus, looking by faith at these exceeding great and precious promises, Uh, God supplying all we need for life and godliness, laboring to improve in focused ways on specific aspects of a holy life, virtue, knowledge, temperance, and so on. He says these are worthy of repetitious consideration. To not do this, Peter literally calls negligence. A minister would be negligent if he didn't constantly reinforce the basic gospel truths. Repentance, faith in Christ and in the promises. Now, notice Peter not only acknowledges his reader knew it, they were established in it, Basically, we would say they were mature Christians. But that didn't keep Peter from writing to them again about the ABCs of God's Word. And why does he do this? Because, well, you know why. You you can feel it in yourself. We, We constantly need to be reminded, reminded to set our affections on things above, not on things on this earth. We need to be consistently pointed to Christ Jesus And to be reminded of the importance of being in the Word, reminded of the absolute joy in God, in living a godly life, and how fruitfulness spiritually pleases the Lord. And so, with God's help in your prayers, may every person who occupies this pulpit, teaches in the classrooms, leads Bible studies, let's not neglect these key truths. Pointing to Christ, the importance of the word, reminding each other of the need to be holy. Paul would write to the Corinthians, and so we also should be reminded to preach nothing but Christ Jesus and Him crucified. It is all in Christ and in His cross. And so we hear, yes, about warnings. Peter's going to write. Warnings later in this letter, Jude's whole epistle is basically a warning. But nevertheless, it's the whole word of God, the whole counsel of God that gets compressed by God into the gospel. And yes, we need to be reminded of the glories of the world to come because we can so easily forget there is an eternity. And yes, there should be something in messages for you boys and girls, for you young people. Invitations and warnings to unbelievers, instruction and admonitions for everybody. All of that. Thanksgiving, faith, repentance, joy. In other words, the focus in this coming year ought not to be, well, what new thing are we going to hear? What novelty will the minister come up with that that we've never heard before? The focus is not on how gifted is this speaker and how eloquent is that speaker. No. But the basic truths, the fundamental truths of God's word, that is our basic meal. That is what we live on by faith. And that is the foundation upon which God builds, like Peter describes, the foundation of Christ all the necessary elements that comprise a holy life. So, okay, that's, the, that's what this passage is saying. Now, let's take a moment and personally reflect on this for ourselves. What are you looking for in this life? Whether life means creating your own joy or purpose, or meaning, or trying to find joy and purpose and meaning meaning in the people around you? Do you seek fulfillment, perhaps, in what you are doing, in what you are studying? If you want help to answer these questions, try the following question. As you look back over 2023, And I know that's a long period of time. What are the highlights of this past year? In other words, what events, what persons, what milestones were meaningfully to you? And the reason we ask this question, the answer to those questions, will tell where your heart has been, what your treasure is, It's a good time tonight is to reflect and to do so personally. But also to reflect as a a couple, as a family, as friends. To ask each other, what really meant a lot to us in this past year? What were the highlights and why were they so? And there's nothing wrong with recollecting things like the nice time we might have had with our family or friends or remembering perhaps important or meaningful milestones in your life remembering the trials you passed through the accomplishments you are able to do nothing wrong with that but that's not really what I asked what were the highlights? what sticks out the most? and then my second question is Where is the Lord in that list? Is he anywhere in your review of the highlights of 2023? Can you remember times when you had personal interactions with God and his word? Personal evidence of his mercy in your life his accomplishments in your life. So let's get even closer to to daily life level. Did you see God in perhaps the newborn that he gave you this year? Or the birth of a grandchild? Did you associate him with the calling in which he preserved you and helped you in this last year? Do you see God, and did you acknowledge Him in whatever accomplishment you were able to achieve? And and don't say you have just because you know you ought to say that. Is it really so? Was Jesus really an integral part, a central figure in 2023 in your life? Or if you're totally honest... Was he just more or less an afterthought? Someone that you would speak to or consider once in a while? These are important questions, beloved. Peter would say, that's not what I'm focusing on. That's not what I would have you remember. Let me try saying it a little differently. Young people, children, older ones, if you were to write a letter straight from your heart to someone you love describing to them this past year would they reading that letter see the Lord at the center of that letter? Or would you tend to just sort of add his name as, as maybe the last line with Christian love or may God bless you or, or something like that. Just sort of an add on. would you be putting him in that letter as a hypocrite? That even though you say he was central to your life, as you look back with God's help, it really wasn't so. That basically, for the most part, you resemble the psalmist when he said, God is not in all their thoughts. And what will 2024 be? will it be more of the same or will it be different before you think well I certainly want things to be different and I'm resolved to do this and to do that just a minute did you ever wonder why in Revelation 22 11 God says he that is unjust let him be unjust still he which is filthy let him be filthy still And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. Why did God put that in there? Well, the fact of the matter is, apart from God intervening in our life by his grace and spirit, also in the life of believers, how we are is how we will be. In other words, 2024 will be very much like 2023 unless God makes the difference. So those of you who were unjust this year will most likely continue to be unjust next year. Those of you who have lived in the filth of sin will more than likely live in the filth of sin in this year, this coming year. Those who... By the grace of God, we're transformed by Him, we'll continue to be righteous. And the holy will be holy still. Now, we are not fatalists. It does not have to be so. We don't believe that things cannot change. And the fact of the matter is, Peter sets before us a chapter which assures us it need not be so. He gives us reasons. He gives us means. He gives us a God that speaks loudly, not only about the possibility of change, but about the certainty of change, of transformation, of keeping by the grace of God. In other words, we don't have to continue wallowing in sin the way we did before. We don't have to continue a life of backsliding and spiritual drowsiness, which perhaps we've settled into. It doesn't have to be this way. But there will be no change, none, that excludes God and His grace. And if 2024 is no better than 2023, it will be entirely our own fault. We have no one to blame but ourselves. But, if this year should prove by the grace of God to be demonstrably better, a dramatic improvement in substantial and in spiritual ways, God will have the glory for it. And as if to to emphasize the important role there is for remembrance, Peter follows verse 12 with this in verse 13. Yes, he says, I think it meet, I think it appropriate as long as I am in this tabernacle, in this body to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. So in other words, it's appropriate for me. It's fitting for me to do this. How long are you going to do this, Peter? Till I die. My task, says Peter, is to stir you up By putting you in remembrance of these very things. Now, something needs to be said at this point, which is important. I'm sure all of you are familiar with the term, the expression, Sunday Christians. These are people who go to church on Sunday, maybe once. But aside from that, and aside from perhaps some formal devotions, that's about all they have to do with the Lord. Now, are there people sitting here like that? Are there people watching tonight who are like that, listening to this message? Maybe you are altogether indifferent about your soul, or maybe you're not altogether indifferent as long as you're in church. But I truly hope that you are not the kind of person and pardon me for using this expression, who thinks that lightning strikes only in church. Yet for the rest of the week, you either neglect your soul altogether, or you engage in heartless, thoughtless, so-called devotions. Put another way, if every day of the week is entirely different than Sunday, If the only day you are really seeking God or reading His Word, then you're in greater danger than you realize. You are not in a good way at all. I remember years ago when we lived in Grand Rapids, they had what was called the the Saturday um, outreach to the neighborhood. We'd go around, pick up children, and you'd, you'd bring them to a place, uh, to the church, and you'd, you'd have an hour with them. You know, teach them Bible histories and all that. And then you'd take them home. And, and it was so very depressing. Why? You spent one hour with them. One hour with them. Teaching them things out of God's word. And you realized that they would not hear one more word about spiritual realities for the other 166 hours of the week. In fact, they would hear the very opposite. Is that your life? Hearing the grand truths of God and his word on the Lord's day, maybe even being somewhat affected or moved while in church, but then the very minute the sermon is over, the service is over, the rest of the rest of your week, other words, other thoughts, other interests, enter your mind, crowd out everything you've heard. If that's you, you are tempting God by expecting more from him on the Lord's day, as if he has to accommodate his work of grace to your spiritual laziness. Peter says, as long as I'm in this tabernacle. Well, I can no longer pledge that to you, beloved. As it long as it pleases God to have me here before we leave, I will try with God's help and will very much need God's help endeavoring to put you in remembrance of these important truths. When we visit you in the hospital, when we're with you on family visits or personal visits, when his providence brings us together at other times, but now I recognize my time is limited. There's an end. But God's time is not limited. He remains here with you. In verse 14, Peter lets us know that he believed when he wrote this that he didn't have much longer to live. In verse 14, he says, even as our Lord Jesus hath showed me. What did Jesus show Peter, boys and girls, that he would die by means of crucifixion? And so history tells us he did. But he says in verse 15, as if prompted by the Spirit, thinking about the fact, I'm going to die soon. He says, moreover, I will endeavor, I will try that ye may be able after my decease to have these things, and there it is again, always in remembrance. So Peter is saying, I'm going to use means, whatever means I have at my disposal. This epistle is one of them. That even even after I die and I'm gone and others have taken my place, you still have the word of God. And I'm going to include this letter by the Spirit of God that even after I die, you're going to be reminded by what I've written of these absolutely central and valuable truths. You're going to have Christ sent before you always. To have these things always in remembrance. And I would say at the end of this year, beloved, how we ought to thank God That not a single Sunday the doors were locked and guards were standing there keeping us out, threatening us. That not a single Sunday the word of God hasn't been in our hands and in our homes, in our classrooms, and in our churches. That he's given to us, that he's left for us these exceeding great and precious promises. Teachers to instruct us, parents to guide us. So many means more than any generation has ever had to keep these things in remembrance. I do a fair amount of, um, or have done a fair amount of counseling with so many of you young couples who, who are getting married or have gotten married. And part of the, the questionnaire that we give you, just to kind of see where you're at, what's the difference between entertainment, recreation, Edification. Most of you know the difference. Entertainment, well, it's downtime, it's chilling out, it's, you know, doing something for, for fun. Uh, edific- um, recreation, you know, taking care of our bodies, going on a hike, uh, exercising, working out, whatever. Edification, what builds the soul, what builds the spirit, what, what is God centered, word centered. And then he asks you, what's the percentage of each? Not always the most encouraging answers. God put these things here for us. He preserved them here for us. What are we doing with our spare time? What are we doing with those huge opportunities to be so grounded in these truths not just for this life, but to prepare us for the world to come, for an eternity. And are we spending tons of time, may I say it this way, wasting tons of time on things that when you look back on them have no value whatsoever in preparing you for glory? I would say much of it is preparing you for the other place. Tempting you to go away from the paths of God. Why? Just because it's there? Just because it's available? Just because everybody else is doing it? Is that how we order our lives? No. Three times. Remember. 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 These things. Always in remembrance. These truths, these ideas, this has lasting values. Which is why talking about these things to each other, teaching these things to our children, to our grandchildren, to one another, this should be a priority. You know, the finest buildings, the nicest homes, the, the, the most gleaming skyscrapers, they're only lasting if they're preserved. Over time they decay. And that's true about everything in this world, except what is from God. So let us ask ourselves the question today, are we concentrating our time and attention, our hearts, on the things which have lasting value or on the things that are passing, things that we're going to leave behind when we die? So I was thinking about examples Let's just say you, you're good at poetry and you wrote a poem that's so good it makes its way into every high school textbook required reading for, for centuries. Or let's just say you wrote a song and it, it made the, the top 40 songs in the country. Or let's just say you're, you're playing on a team and, and you win the championship, whatever that may be. if the home that you built is fitting to be on a cover of a, a Better Homes and Gardens, or your car or truck is so nice, it could make the front cover of, you know, road and track magazine. Of what value would any of that be if you lose your soul? What difference does it make, Really? if the ideas we retain, we remember, we live out, we promote, if those things are after God's thoughts, after God's word, that's what's valuable. And that's what's worth retaining and repeating, not just for weeks or years or a lifetime, but for generations. These things abide. And that is why especially my young friends here, don't always reach for the easiest thing to read or the easiest podcast. Search out the treasures of wisdom that have been left to us from insightful, godly persons whom God raised up over the centuries. And it's like anything else, it takes effort, especially at first, to get used to exercising our mind in some of these deeper works of God but resolve in this coming year to read more in this year than the last year and not just in terms of the amount of reading but especially in terms of the quality of what you read break open a volume of Jonathan Edwards of John Owen Thomas Boston, Flavel, most of those you can get for free online. I can show you where if you don't know. And if that's too hard, there's easier ones to turn to. McShane is a good thing to start. JC Ryles, Thoughts on the Gospels, excellent place to start. But start. Fill your heart. With the Word of God and with people who can help us understand the Word of God. Because such things are good for you. They're good for me. Remembering. Let's take time out tonight and tomorrow and the week to come to look back, to take stock, to see where we've been, what we've been in the year gone by. And as we think of the highlights ask the question was God in them? And let's look at some of the lowlights too. Some of the deep valleys. Some of the hardest afflictions. What did God do to help you through them? That's good to remember too. Let us just not remember though because Peter's not quite done yet. It's important to remember, but then what do we do with these truths when we remember them? And that's our last thought. Our second thought, the focus of our remembrance. Remembrance, put you always in remembrance, stir you up. Well, what ought we to remember? on a night like this and the season ahead of us well Peter says these things so in part the things he just mentioned what he just wrote so according to verses 2 through 4 that we who believe by God's grace have an unlimited resource of grace in Jesus Christ everything we need All that we need for life and godliness and this unlimited resource is there for sinners, not just for saints. And we may ask of God who giveth liberally and doesn't upbraid for asking. Do remember, dear brother and sister in Christ, the older ones who are experiencing the effects of advancing age, the discouraged ones who have gone through many battles, many struggles, many trials still are. Look up, dear friend. Peter would say, it's the Lord Jesus who called me. It's the Lord Jesus who kept me. It's the Lord Jesus who empowered me. It's the Lord Jesus who forgave me. And who continues to use me. To him who has all things in his hands for us. What else do we remember? Peter continues. He exhorts us to apply, to make use of these unlimited resources. How? By cultivating holiness. Sanctification. Verse 4 reminds us that through faith's appropriating taking to oneself the promises of God, these exceeding great and precious promises. He says, by trusting in his promised word, we can begin to take on the divine nature, not become God, but through the promises we can make real progress in the quest for Christ-likeness. But then, important to our closing thought, Peter gives us very specific direction in this quest for likeness. So let's look at that. He says, give all diligence. Throw your weight into this. Into this endeavor. Because our Lord delights in holiness. He says, without holiness, no man can see the Lord. Hebrews 12, 14. So therefore, and listen, armed with God's promises armed with all that Christ offers, take that resource from Christ and give all diligence to build one grace atop another. And we shouldn't think as we go through verses 5 through 7 that the next grace mentioned is somehow higher than the one before. No, these are interlinked. They relate to each other. So what does he say? Add To your faith, so faith is the conduit through which the rest flows, faith in Christ, in those promises, add to your faith virtue. So in other words, to put it simply, let your faith be seen, be demonstrated through virtuous living. In other words, a virtuous life ought to be the the outcropping of faith. It demonstrates the reality of our faith. Faith is that door of access to Christ, but it's also the door of access from Christ through which the grace and strength and perseverance we need to live virtuously. Then he says, add to virtue knowledge. Again, a a timely reminder, never stop learning, never stop searching. Never stop looking in the word, praying for light, praying for wisdom, praying for application. Knowledge isn't the next higher step, it is an important companion to virtue. And I think all of us have probably known people, truly godly people, who who tried very hard to live a holy life, but because of ignorance, of certain biblical truths made little progress and even sometimes veered off into into legalism or or antinomianism or something other than what is entirely scriptural. And although these well-meaning souls certainly didn't intend to end up there, it was a lack of knowledge that was hindering them. Well, how do we add knowledge? Augustine became a Christian when God directed what they think was a little boy saying in Latin, tole lege, pick up and read. Read the word of God. Pray for application. Even if we don't understand the passage we're reading, read it anyway. And again, like I said before, don't go right away to the how-to section of your of your Christian library. Go to the Word. It's much better in these solid Christian books, these solid Christian authors, to, to learn the principles of Scripture rather than all these practical things because the principles of Scripture can be applied broadly to many situations. Add to virtue knowledge. And then To knowledge temperance. Why does he write that? Well, we can know a lot and we can do a lot. But do we have a solid grip on the reins of our desires? That's what temperance is. A lack of temperance means we're indulgent. We lack self-discipline. We lack self-denial. We're willful. We're bossy. We lack restraint in spending, in eating, in other things. You see, we could put it this way. Temperance is the dividing line between being a man under God's control and a person who's out of control. That's temperance. James 3, verse 2, If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man and able also to bridle the whole body. In other words, if you, by the grace of God, are able to control your tongue, to be temperate even in speech, you're well on your way to holiness. But as you can well see, these are activities that are fueled by grace. And that grace comes from Christ. Christ and the Spirit of God. And then add to your temperance patience. I don't think we need a definition or even an example of patience. We do need, says Peter, to be reminded often of the importance of patience. Ecclesiastes 7, verse 8, The patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Romans 12, verse 12b, patient in tribulation. 1 Thessalonians 5, 14, patient toward all men. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 5, patiently waiting for Christ. James 5, verse 7, patient unto the coming of the Lord. Now you can see the connection I trust between patience and faith. Faith is trusting in that which we cannot see, but which is very real, And patience is waiting for the fulfillment of that very thing that patience, that faith latches onto. And a temperate person tends to be a patient person as well. So to temperance, patience, better to wait for that which is good, the best, than to settle for all the rest. Add to patience, godliness. Young people, you probably have learned that back in the days of, of the New Testament, give or take a, a century or so, you had people like Socrates or Plato teaching a whole lot about uh, an effort and, and principles, how to live a virtuous life. Were those people godly? Godlike? Peter would remind us it's by faith in the promises that we become partakers of the divine nature, truly godly. So if we're going to add godliness to patience, we need to know where to look. And it's not inside, it's outside of ourselves. The last two matters about which Peter reminds us, brotherly, kindness and charity, So in other words, he's reminding us tonight three times, be diligent, use all diligence he says to exercise these two, be kind to one another as brethren, love one another even as God for Christ's sake has loved you. And then look what he says. If these things be in you and abound, if you are making progress by the grace of God, through the Christ of God, by faith in the promises, if these things are happening in your life, he says, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You will know God far better than you know him now and then the warning he that lacketh these things is blind cannot see afar off and has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins again salvation is entirely passive God opens our eyes he makes us to be born again by a sovereign act of his spirit but from that moment forward we may seek for salvation yes we may ask the Lord for that yes in that way active but we can't make salvation happen we know that but from that moment forward everything we're reading here is not passive a believers calling is hardly passive this first makes plain If we look to the Lord, if we diligently pursue what he says, we will not be barren. You will not be unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord. But the neglectful, the forgetful, is blind, short-sighted, loses the comfort of these spiritual realities that ought to attend the life of a believer in this world. So as we close reminders God's word says we need them regularly but not just from the pulpit not just in the catechism class not just at Christian school stirring up one another is found in chapter 113 of this epistle and chapter 3 verse 1 stirring up one another putting each other in remembrance and to do so without offense, exercising the graces that we read here, love, patience, forgiveness. So look over this past year. Not just the temporal, but especially try to remember and profit from spiritual lessons that God is teaching you, spiritual truths that He's imparted to you, the wealth found at the beginning of this chapter, giving all diligence to apply that to God's call for holiness. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard and hold fast looking unto Jesus. Amen.